Welcome back to Podsdale. I'm your host, Public Affairs Supervisor Holly Walter, and I'm ready to jump right into our fourth episode. Today's topic is the city's recent adoption of an anti-discrimination ordinance, which prohibits discrimination based on actual or perceived race, color, religion, sex, national origin, age, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. But what does this mean to us as employees and to our community? I'll be talking to the research team behind the ordinance, librarian Christina Brady, our city's diversity manager, Sharon Sini, communications and public affairs director, Kelly Corsett, senior city attorney, Bill Hyland, and our assistant city manager, Brent Stockwell. But before we get into our interview, I'm sending it over to Stephanie Harada for this episode's Fast Five. Hi, I'm Public Affairs Specialist Stephanie Hirata with five fast things happening around the city you need to know. Scottsdale City Court starts the list at number five. The court now offers an online chat feature which allows users to receive case information and have their questions answered by a live court clerk right from their computers or mobile devices. For more than a year, court staff focused on expanding virtual services and now offer virtual civil traffic hearings, online appointment scheduling, and the ability to remotely obtain an order of protection. Scottsdale City Court also allows people to virtually file a motion, look up a case, make a payment, request defensive driving school, and other services. You can find the court online at scottsdaleaz.gov and search City Court. The NCAA golf championships are at number four. The long-awaited start of a three-year run for the NCAA golf championships in Scottsdale is here. The women are up first at Greyhawk Golf Club from May 21st to the 26th, followed by the men from May 28th to June 2nd. The 2022 and 2023 nationals also will be held at Greyhawk. The championships will be televised on the Golf Channel and spectators are allowed with free admission. Scottsdale Public Library is in our number three spot. Arizona State Library recently awarded three grants totaling $11,000 to the library. The grants will help the library expand its citizen science program, improve staff development, and expand virtual programming. Two of the grants are funded through the Library Services and Technology Act, while the third grant is funded through the American Rescue Plan Act. At number two are incredible police department chaplains. Scottsdale Police Department will host an international conference and training seminar for police chaplains in July. The department plans to welcome 350 police chaplains and their families for a week of training and fellowship from July 12th through the 16th at the Hyatt Regency Ganey Ranch. You can learn more at icpcforcops.org. Our number one Fast Five spot goes to Scottsdale Water Executive Director Brian Beesmeyer. Governor Doug Ducey recently appointed Brian to serve as a commissioner on the Arizona Water Protection Fund. The fund is a competitive state grant program that provides an annual source of funding to restore, maintain, and enhance river and riparian resources throughout Arizona. The commission's investment have improved Arizona's water quality, in-stream flows and water supplies, biodiversity, fish and wildlife habitat, recreation, flood control, and overall watershed health. Congratulations, Brian. And that's our Fast Five for this episode of Podsdale. Got something for a future Fast Five? Tell us by emailing communications at scottsdaleaz.gov. I'll turn it back over to you. Holly? Thanks, Stephanie. I also need to give a shout out to our most recent trivia question winner, Facilities Supervisor Craig Taylor. Craig was correct in saying that Chief Information Officer Brad Hardig is the person retiring after 30 years of service to the city. Craig, we have a $10 gift card with your name on it. Watch your email. 
And if you want to be our next trivia question winner, listen closely for the question at the end of this podcast and email your answer to communications at scottsdaleaz.gov to be entered into our drawing. Well, our episode today focuses on our newly passed anti-discrimination ordinance. And in fact, I have the entire anti-discrimination ordinance research team with me today. So this will be our first podcast with an entire team of people to interview, but I welcome you all here with us today and thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. First off, I'm going to ask Sharon, why is the adoption of an anti-discrimination ordinance so important to the city of Scottsdale? Uh, well, first of all, good afternoon, everyone. How are you doing? Good to see uh, all my colleagues here. And uh, it's a great question because we did a, a tremendous amount of work. Um, and, you know, I've been here for seven years and, and over the years we've interfaced with many people within our diverse community. And um, we discovered in our conversations and through citizen reporting that there were some things going on out there that specifically impacted people including our LGBT community, because there were things like, you know, no legal protections and recourse. And so this new local inclusive anti-discrimination ordinance is really a substantial move to establish that expanded legal civil rights for all people working, visiting, and living in Scottsdale. So that makes me super proud because I, I love living here in Scottsdale. It's a great city. Um, and I also love the fact that Scottsdale is joining other Arizona cities like Flagstaff and Phoenix, Sedona, Tempe, Tucson, my hometown of Winslow, and most recently Mesa. And so the, the ordinance is really great because um, it adds sexual orientation and gender identity um, as protected classes. Um, right now, the protected classes are things like race, color, religion, sex, national origin, age, and disability. Um, but what this did is it really, you know, it Scottsdale made a public commitment to fairness and equity. And uh, we are a golden rule city, which of course I love too, because it tells us to treat others how we would want to be treated and to serve all with equal treatment and fair treatment. And so, um, you know, we hope that this, this ordinance will help people deter from any unlawful actions. And I always talk about psychological safety and how important that is. And and we know that inclusion creates that sense of belonging. And that's what we want in our beautiful city and within our own organization. And so I always loved what one community has said is we are open to business for everyone. And that's exactly what this ordinance has done. Absolutely. And it sounds like we're in good company with other cities having something similar. Yeah, we sure are. Now, this project required some substantial preparation and work by this entire team. Brent, can you step us through that process? Yeah, definitely, Holly. So uh, we actually started on this last summer in the um, wake in the context of the national discourse on race. And uh, we also support the Human Relations Commission, which is a group of uh, residents that have been appointed by the council to look at these types of issues. And uh, the commission felt it was a good time to make a, a recommendation again to the city council that uh, they adopt a, a, a non or anti-discrimination ordinance. So they made a recommendation at their meeting in August that went to the council. And as our city manager was listening to the council members, um, he recognized that we needed to do a little bit more background work to make sure that this project uh, and this ordinance was ready uh, for council approval. So he asked that we uh, form a team and do some more research 
And so Sharon, of course, was a, a core part of that team. Uh, we needed legal advice. So Bill Hyland uh, was added to the team for that. Um, we needed uh, a, a crack researcher, a great researcher. And we had that in Christina Brady, who was also uh, redeployed at the time as our city manager's executive assistant. And of course, we needed to make sure that um, we were thinking about how to involve the public and how to do uh, community involvement throughout this process. And so Kelly Corsett was part of the team. So we started meeting, we started doing research uh, into um, how other cities um, enforce on ordinances, how they do investigations, what different pieces are included in their ordinances. And we would meet regularly to talk about this and work and develop this. And uh, it became clear after the election in November that a lot of council members and the mayor were very interested in moving this forward. So we really started to work to make sure that everything was as ready as possible to go by the time the new council was seated. This sounds like a pretty big research project. And I know Sharon mentioned earlier that other cities have similar ordinances. Christina, through your research, what did you learn from other communities? Thank you so much, Holly. Uh, this has certainly been uh, the most important research project I've worked on, and I'm grateful for my background to uh, bring some of those skills to the table. But each member of this team conducted a lot of research on their own, and they contributed to this ordinance's development, so I want to thank them all. But uh, I specifically focused on Arizona's comp cities. Those include Plano, Texas, Alexandria, Virginia, and Henderson, Nevada. Um, a lot of the city codes can be found online and uh, they really have a range of coverage uh, that is rather extensive. So for instance, uh, Henderson, Nevada is one of our comp cities and it has uh, equal opportunity policy, which prohibits discrimination based on certain protected classes. And they also have protections against city employees from retaliation when reporting instances of discrimination or harassment. And those are pretty common uh, protections that you'll see. But I thought that Alexandria, Virginia's code was the most interesting and inspiring. And I think that it really helped guide where we went. Uh, so if you ever feel like looking up ordinance, you can go there and <laughs> look into theirs. But uh, I think that that in addition to our sheet, which was provided to the Scottsdale City Council, which uh, showed the differences and the similarities between the ordinances of uh, Phoenix, Tempe, Sedona, Flagstaff, Tucson, and Winslow uh, was very helpful. But to answer your question more directly, uh, we learned that other communities were offering, we learned what they were offering as far as their scope of prohibited discrimination, their protected classes, their exemptions, and their complaint procedures. Uh, so knowing all of that information helped guide the development of this ordinance in addition to the recommendations that we got from the Human Relations Commission. So I think like what Sharon was saying before, it really helps strengthen Scottsdale's status as a golden rule city. But overall, I think that this ordinance moves Scottsdale in a very positive direction where its residents and its visitors are gonna feel more welcomed and more protected. Absolutely. And it definitely sounds like that background research was vital in this process as we put our ordinance together. Now I have an, a question for our attorney, for Bill. Were there protections in place in our city prior to the adoption of this ordinance? Yeah, Holly, there there were. Um, there were really two um, 
separate categories of uh, protections before we passed this ordinance. One uh, that applied uh, through our human resources ordinance um, to city employees themselves. And that provides that um, the city is not going to discriminate uh, against employees based on any of the protected categories. And those protected categories are the are the same ones that ended up in the the newly passed ordinance. And then we also had uh, we have um, a uh, housing uh, ordinance, which more or less mirrored uh, the federal laws regarding housing uh, discrimination. Um, those were the two areas that had the force of law, but of course we also have administrative uh, regulation 333, which is very broad um, about you know essentially treating employees and uh, citizens and customers uh, uh, fairly. Um, and because Scottsdale is a, obviously a values-based organization, but those those far-reaching. Um, protections don't have the force of law because they're in administrative regulation rather than uh, the code. So that's what existed prior to this. Now, Sharon, is is discrimination a problem in Scottsdale? You know, that's such a great question. And I think it's, it's important that we're very real about discrimination, harassment, and retaliation because, yes, it does exist. Um, and you know, my, my, my office is a community service, and we also house our LGBT liaisons, both at the past and the present. So uh, one of them, of course, was David Simmons, who worked so hard over the years and committed um, his time. The same thing as Stanis Slater, who is our LGBT liaison, and then um, Hugh Lockerbie in our uh, Scottsdale Police Department. Um, all of us are, have been an open door for anyone to discuss these situations as we described here um, with regards to it. And, and the one that comes to mind um, is that we know that there have been employment cases, um, one that had happened prior to my time here at Scottsdale, and it was a popular local wine bar. And unfortunately, it had to close its doors because of the actual and perceived prejudice that involved a male employee's sexual orientation and a male co-worker who was perceived to be gay. Um, and he began uh, being harassed and um, being teased and all these things because he was standing up for his co-worker. Then we also know that public comments that we've had since the ordinance has been proposed and unveiled some further incidences in our community that we actually weren't aware of. Um, some that included threats of harm. Um, some had unfair employment practices in the past. And, you know, a lot of the prejudice attitudes are supported by misinformation. And, and sometimes, even worse, we can't really... Um, if someone can't prove discrimination, it takes its, its toll on a person because it's that person has the responsibility um, to bring in that proof, right? Um, and sometimes there are microaggressions, and microaggressions are those everyday, subtle, intentional, and sometimes not intentional interactions or behaviors that communicate some sort of bias. Um, and when citizens or employees tell us their stories, they are sharing their instinct feelings they get because of the interaction. Um, sometimes they've been in bars where they've been called a name or they've been uh, feel like being um, uh, unfairly treated because of their sexual orientation or the color of their skin or what have you. But that instinctual feeling is 
telling them that someone is communicating hostile or disrespectful or negative racial or other insults towards them. And those behaviors, I think that both for staff and, and for the community, we need to be aware of what those look like because some of them are really different. Sometimes they're micro assaults that are um, when people behave in a discriminatory manner, but not but aren't explicitly intending to offend someone. Or sometimes they can be micro insults, which are when people unintentionally communicate discriminatory messages to members of targeted groups. And most importantly, uh, the micro invalidations, which deny the realities of what members of targeted populations experience. And so we have to keep in mind that when we're, we all have a right to work free from discrimination, harassment, and retaliation because we have to work, we have to live, we have to pay our bills, we have to feed our families, to pay off debt, and that includes everyone, right? Regardless of, of sexual orientation or gender identity or race or national origin or your religious beliefs or what have you. And so discrimination and other behaviors that occur do exist, so let's do our part to prevent it from happening in the first place and continue to be growth-minded um, using our diversity competencies. We have them. Our staff are skilled, they're competent, and we have to use that to positively create a safe, healthy workplace and inclusive community. Absolutely. As you said, sometimes it is an uncomfortable topic for people to discuss, but Sadly, there are some instances of discrimination that do exist. Uh, thinking about that, what does this ordinance mean? Bill, can you talk more about what protections the ordinance provides and who's protected? Sure, Holly. Um, to take the second question um, first, the ordinance generally prohibits um, discrimination based on uh, these categories, which are race, uh, color, religion, sex, national origin, age, sexual orientation, gender identity, and disability. And that includes uh, both uh, if you actually fall into that category and the, um, I would imagine, somewhat uh, less likely situation where someone perceives you as falling into that category and discriminates against you, but is actually incorrect about whether you belong to that category. So that's where the per perceived language comes in. So, um, you know, I've been asked this before when, when people say who's covered and I say everybody's covered um, because, it, I mean, in fact, that's that's true. Um, everybody has a race. Um, everybody has a sexual orientation, a gender identity, a national origin. Um, so everyone is covered by this ordinance. Um, and it also includes, uh, again, probably the rather rare circumstance of, of what's called by the shorthand reverse discrimination. It, it would apply uh, both the discrimination against uh, someone who is, for example, black, but also discrimination um, against someone who is white, uh, you know, same thing with male and female. So everybody's covered. Um, the way it's structured is really in two separate parts. Uh, the first part covers uh, city services, um, and that provides that the city, um, its contractors, its employees, its volunteers are not going to discriminate in any way in, in providing uh, city services based on those uh, protected categories that I just talked about. And then the second um, 
area is covers public accommodations, employment, and housing. So uh, any employer um, in the city is prohibited by this ordinance from discriminating against its employees or applicants for employment based on those uh, categories. Any place of public accommodation, um, which is, is is relatively broad, so it certainly includes restaurants, uh, you know, basically any business that is offering services to the public are also prohibited um, from discriminating based on those categories to its uh, to its customers. And then the final area is housing. Um, and again, the same categories are protected. So anyone offering uh, for sale or rental, any kind of housing, can't discriminate uh, based on those protected categories. So in a nutshell, that's what the uh, ordinance does. Protection for all. I like that answer. Now, Sharon, we've talked about the ordinance, how the ordinance prohibits discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. What, what do those terms mean? Um, so first of all, the ordinance says that discrimination, harassment, and retaliation is strictly prohibited. And so let's start with discrimination. Um, discrimination is based on any protected class. Um, and under this policy, it means engaging in or making directly or indirectly any act, policy, or practice that unfavorably subjects any person to different or separate treatment on the basis of actual or perceived classes. So there's the action there. That you're making indirect or directly unfavorable uh, statements to someone. And most importantly, that discrimination also includes unfavorable, different or separate treatment of a person based on a person's association with someone of a protected class. And then harassment is um, verbal, written, physical conduct that denigrates or shows hostility towards an individual because of actual or perceived protected class. So harassment looks like uh, name calling, slurs, negative stereotyping. It could involve threatening, intimidating, or hostile events, denigrating jokes, and written or graphic material that denigrates or shows hostility or aversion towards an individual or a group that is placed on things like walls or elsewhere on the employer's premises, um, circulated, posted in the workplace, via email, phone, including voice messages, text messages, social work sites, and other means. And then, of course, harassment is, for example, if someone reports discrimination or harassment and participates in, in the investigation. And, um, you know, we don't want to have people who are involved with, you know, these types of things. And that means uh, supervisors, you know, directors, all the way up. We don't. We want to make sure that retaliation. We have a responsibility to make sure retaliation doesn't happen. And so, under the the policy, it means any act, policy, or practice that unfavorably, again, subjects a person to different or separate treatment because they're reporting or they're opposing any practice prohibited under this article. So, of course, the city strongly um, encourages reporting of any perceived incidences of discrimination and harassment, and we have our own internal processes and AR333 that helps employees guide us through that. And we also have an open door policy. Uh, my office is one of them, but really any manager um, is there as an open door um, avenue to help staff 
either, you know, through consultation or questions that they may have, resources, or just to be able to be an ally. So I hope that answers uh, your question, Holly. That's great. I appreciate that you explained those terms further. I think it's important for our listeners and our employees to understand what those terms mean. Now, Bill mentioned the ordinance covers two separate areas. Brent, can you add anything to that? And what will the impact be to Scottsdale employees? Yeah, Holly, I think the thing that is going to be most important to uh, employees to understand is what's the impact to them. And um, as as Bill said earlier and, and even explained in the beginning about um, the protections that were already in place, I think for the most part, um, things are going to be very similar uh, to the way they were. We'll update AR-333 to include the new anti-discrimination ordinance referenced in that, but employees are still res- uh, expected to follow AR-333. Um, discriminating against um, others, including all the protected classes listed here in the new ordinance, was already um, included in um, the types of things that employees could be, um, you know, aren't supposed to do and could be disciplined or terminated for. I think the big thing to focus on here from the employee standpoint is, is that the elected leadership of this community, the mayor and city council, made a strong policy statement to say that it's the city's policy that we're not going to discriminate and we're going to provide equal opportunity to all persons, whether you're uh, actual or perceived, any of those protective classes, all of those things. And they've made that statement as a policy statement. And that's, that's the thing that's kind of the first thing to make that so broad and that it includes um, all city services, all programs, all activities. Um, They went further too in the policy statement and said, that all persons that get served by the city have a right to be treated with respect and dignity and and kind of lay out what respect and dignity means. And then the other thing is, is that people have a right to receive service from the city in a manner that promotes equality under the law. So all people should be treated similarly and prohibits unlawful discrimination, including the things that Sharon was talking about, uh, harassment and, and retaliation. So, um, Scottsdale has always been, um, for a very long time, a organization that valued diversity. You know, we have respect the individual and show caring compassion toward others in our employee values. But this is a policy statement from the top of the organization, our elected leadership, that says very clearly how we're supposed to behave. And it, it extends not just to employees and volunteers who have always been covered under the Human Resources Ordinance and the AR-333. The council also applied this to themselves and all of the appointed officials, all the board and commission members, and they also applied this to all of the contractors, vendors, and consultants that do work on behalf of the city of Scottsdale as well. So that's a pretty broad, strong policy statement that's saying that um, equal opportunity is what we're expected and anti-discrimination is uh, what we're for. Um, no discrimination in any of the city services policies or activities or programs. Um, and the other thing I just want to mention really quickly is I think this has been great to listen to Sharon and Chris, Christina and, and Bill all talk. Um, this was absolutely a team effort, really consistent with our employee value of collaborate as a team. And uh, I think it's great to hear from some of these voices that we're not, you know, the employees aren't always used to hearing from but are a really important part of any of these kind of significant uh, policy uh, and teamwork efforts that we do. 
I think it's great that a team worked on this to put this together, and it's definitely an important policy statement that applies to us all. Bill, um, there are some exemptions. Who's exempt from this ordinance, and what does it mean exactly to be exempt? So exemption essentially means that a certain conduct or certain organizations are just beyond the scope of the ordinance, um, that we're not going to enforce the ordinance uh, against uh, those entities in, in certain situations. Uh, most of the exemptions are are situational as opposed to completely excluding um, you know a certain organization from from the scope. So one of the big exemptions um, has to do with with the First Amendment and, and this would be an exemption regardless of whether we stated it in the ordinance uh, or not because it's it's the law. but we did, take the trouble of stating it in the ordinance because we wanted to, to be very clear about that. But the First Amendment does provide uh, certain uh, freedoms, obviously, uh, with regard to expression. And we made clear to, to state that nothing in this ordinance is going to be interpreted in a way to, in, to infringe on people's First Amendment rights. And that includes freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom of association. So there's a relatively major case that came down from the Arizona Supreme Court about uh, uh, wedding invitations, sort of handmade wedding invitations, and the and the Supreme Court said, you know, that's that's expressive activity that that's covered by the First Amendment, and you have the right to determine who you're going to undertake that expressive activity on behalf of, even though it's a commercial uh, transaction. So there are also more limited exemptions. So some of them apply to, uh, for example, religious organizations. But religious organizations are not completely exempt uh, from the ordinance. They're they're exempt to the extent that they're employing uh, someone uh, to perform um, sort of religious uh, functions as an employee. Um, bona fide uh, private uh, membership clubs are also exempt, um, both in employment and uh, and in housing, if they're providing them to uh, to members. Um, so the exemptions uh, are there. They're somewhat limited, and like I said, they're situational. And, and another one I should add is that if you're actually living in a, in a house uh, or, or a dwelling and you want to um, rent out uh, part of that dwelling, you're exempt uh, in, in that respect because – that also implicates the First Amendment right of uh, free association because you're actually choosing someone who you want to live with, as opposed to, um, you know, just you know, owning a house and not living in it and saying we're going to rent out this house. Um, so that that's another exemption. Okay, well that th that makes sense. Thank you for providing those examples. I now have a communication-based question, so I'm going to ask this of Kelly. What were some of the questions or concerns from the public about this ordinance? Um, thanks, Holly. You know, I think with something like this, the the council uh, primarily heard from the public through um, emails and, and direct contacts, and there's a lot of misinformation out there on this topic in particular. So people raising concerns about um, essentially a business owner having to choose between their faith and following the law and staying open 
which is really an, an extreme uh, extrapolation of of how this ordinance might affect someone, as as Bill just described. There are there are legitimate exemptions that that acknowledge uh, people's individual face and how they might uh, come up against uh, some of these sorts of things. So I think those were the things that that people were bringing up, and and some of the public input was legitimately wanting to learn. Uh, you know, people who heard this sort of thing and in, in seeking real answers uh, to a, a concern that they had. And uh, Brent, I know in particular, did an excellent job communicating with a lot of residents who'd reached out to the city uh, wanting more information. And, uh, and and so those people came away with, uh, with a better understanding of what this ordinance is and uh, of equal importance what it is not. There are others that that just choose uh, extreme examples as as the reason they do not want to extend protection to uh, people in the community who, as as Sharon described, are um, authentically uh, suffering from uh, from different forms of discrimination uh, based simply upon who they are. And and so I, I, what we saw through all that was um, was a community hearing about something, learning about something, and then uh, and then weighing in. And I think the whole thing is really a great example of of how local government works, really, and and how government uh, in general can work, which is bringing up a a topic that that we are exploring per city council direction. Uh, and, and actually, let me back up with that quickly before we uh, earlier in the podcast, we mentioned the Human Relations Commission. And, and this is something this is a group of residents appointed by the city council to to advise the council on on topics in this area. And that group had, had really um, since last summer and, and probably previous iterations of the group as well had been recommending that the council act in this area. And and those those are individual residents who've been hearing from their who who have their own beliefs and opinions, but also have been hearing from uh, friends and neighbors and family and businesses with uh, with whom they're associated. So uh, that really public process um, comes through, and and that's how our local government process works. So uh, those are residents; they're hearing from other residents. They're advising the city council. The city council saying yes. Um, we agree. We want to pursue this. Um, city manager then activates his staff, which is this team that we're talking to today. We continue um, creating drafts, talking with the different commissions, talking with the community, and then bringing something back in in public meetings to the city council, where they weigh in and ultimately act. So there's a lot of touch points uh, for the public here. And I think it's just a perfect example of how the the residents can have a voice, how the boards and commissions are involved, and ultimately how the the city council uh, considers and hears something. So um, I I really love it as as an example of how local government uh, works on behalf of the people. Thanks, Kelly. It is a great example, and I and I know we will continue to have conversations about the ordinance and continue answering questions and educating the public. I think that's an important piece that goes along with this. Now, Kelly offered a good segue to this next question that I have for Sharon. The Human Relations Commission recently hosted a town hall that placed a lot of focus on this ordinance. What did we learn from the town hall, Sharon? 
Yeah, that's another great question. And I really am thankful that uh, we work with the Human Relations Commission. And I've been working uh, with several groups over the years. And every time they are just dynamic, incredible, compassionate people. And so we came up with the uh, virtual town halls as part of uh, the response from last year. And I, I, I really like to say that um, what we learned in each of them, and in particularly last night or this past week, we um, it was called uh, Riots, Racism, and Reconciliation. Um, and we really didn't know how that was going to be, um, how, how, was, how it was going to be received. And what we learned from it is that there are many people out there who um, were able to identify not only their feelings about what had happened here in Scottsdale, but also recognize that, you know, the, the very good that Scottsdale has done. Um, so, for example, when we when we played the videos of the riots and we had people talk about that and process it and and share their experience of, of what they were feeling at that time. We also need, needed to recognize, really, that the next day, the next morning, there were residents out there. Uh, cleaning up the glass and helping the businesses um, to basically find that reconciliation, right? Which is the last R. Um, and the reconciliation, I think, is is something that's going to be very powerful because people are still in action mode and some people are still in learning mode. Some people are still, you know, um, questioning whether or not it's uh, something different than what we're talking about. Um, and, and so we still definitely have all those barriers out there, but town halls, um, you know, provide the mechanism to, for our, our residents to be able to tell us their truth. And I think a lot of that truth was said in um, in Wednesday's uh, virtual town hall. Where we got to hear um, some incredible stories of resiliency and um, but also a frustration that, you know, why is this continuing to happen and and what what can we do as a community to stand together um, as a front to make sure that people are 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 respected, you know, again, regardless of how old they are, how big they are, what if they have a dis- disability or, if, you know, what, or the color of their skin or if they're a Gen Z or <laughs> what have you. Right. Um, people want to be respected. And for the most part, I was really glad to hear this, too, is that um, we 90 percent of the population gets it right. Um, and speaking of data, I think it's also really important that when we bring up things like 80% of Scottsdale is in the white category, I think uh, Commissioner Roden did a really nice job as, as, to the audience of saying, you know, that doesn't mean it's just, you know, this race. It means that there's lots of diversity even within these races. And um, from my perspective, we have a great opportunity here to engage that 80% because it is the largest population. And I've said this over and over over the years, and and I've heard people really appreciate um, that we aren't just focusing in on just the the traditional demographics, but really being inclusive because there are, as as mentioned, there's many allies that are out there working with us and and doing their best to bring light to um, where they can within their workplaces, across our city, within our departments, where have you, you know, lots of different places. And so what we're learning is, is that um, we are going in the right direction and our citizens and our employees are looking for leadership to, to provide that for them. Because when they do that, 
everything else begins to grow from there. And um, I think we have a great direction now. We have a stronger policy statement. I think citizens are in action mode. And I just look forward to what's going to be happening in the next few years as we evolve this process. Right. And I have to say, personally, I had the opportunity to attend the town hall, and I thought it was really insightful. So anyone who didn't have the opportunity to listen in, we do have a recording of the town hall available on the city's YouTube channel for anyone else who would like to listen and and learn from that experience. So now we have the ordinance in place. I'll ask Kelly, what are our next steps as a city and where can we learn more? Uh, well, we've we've got information online um, related to the the ordinance itself. People can read it. They can look at the the council presentation on the topic. We are developing uh, some communication, specific communications, just to help people understand it more. And and this podcast is one of those ideas. So uh, part of our effort, as with a lot of things uh, that we do as a city, part of our effort is to uh, inform our employees and help our workforce become more knowledgeable. And and so it's great that we're having this discussion here on Podsdale, and we will also look at some other uh, opportunities um, inside the organization. And and of course, uh, I think it was mentioned earlier, we've got some of our admin regs that uh, that may need adjustment uh, based on the fact that we have this in place now and things have changed. So all those sorts of things will be happening uh, through uh, through the different ways that we connect with uh, with Scottsdale employees to to help folks understand what's going on. Uh, at the same time, we're looking outside and and thinking about uh, things that we can do to help the community understand. And since a lot of this is is um, potentially impactful uh, to small businesses, hopefully not because. Um, uh, because if it impacts small businesses, it means they may be uh, involved in some form of discrimination. So um, it's potentially impactful in that area. So we're going to be working with the chamber to see how we might be able to um, connect with uh, with the small business community and, and give them the information that they need so that they understand uh, what the rules are. And that could take the form of a webinar uh, or something like that, which I think uh, is an interesting idea. And, and the nice thing is, over the past year, a lot of people have become used to attending webinars, listening to podcasts, you know, do, g- gathering information maybe a little bit differently than uh, than they had in the past. So it gives us some new tools in the toolbox. So we're definitely looking at that um, sort form of external facing communication as well. And and we'll roll in information into other city publications. Um, in fact, it's in our uh, resident newsletter that's going out as we speak. There's a there's an item in that uh, newsletter uh, that talks about the new anti-discrimination ordinance. So really just um, trying to continue the momentum to help people understand what the what the city council has adopted and, and how it impacts them and the community. And then, of course, through efforts like this inside our organization to help our employees understand as well. So stay tuned, more to come on this, more to learn. Um, Though Kelly, Christina, Sharon, Bill, Brent, I appreciate your time and thank you for what you've done to work on this ordinance and, and get this out to the organization and out to our community. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you for being with me. Thank you. Thanks Holly. so much. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks, Holly. We, uh, we love Podsdale. Keep up the great work here. Thanks, everyone. Before we go, I'm going to wrap it up with today's trivia question. Scottsdale Police Department is serving as host agency for what international conference? Email your answer to communications at scottsdaleaz.gov and we will put you in our drawing for a gift card. 
And that's it for this episode of Potsdale. Be sure to join me again in two weeks. And until then, take care.